This podcast is part of the Batman Universe Podcast Network, hosted by the BatmanUniverse.net. Check out everything related to Batman and the entire Bat family at the BatmanUniverse.net, including news and original content related to comics, movies, television, merchandise, video games, and more. Also, check out some of the other unique podcasts that TBU has to offer. Consider supporting this podcast by becoming a patron on Patreon. Even $1 can go a long way in supporting this content that you enjoy. Look for a link over at thebatmanuniverse.net to offer your support now. And now, on with the show. What's up, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Tim, former GameStop employee. This is episode 204, and we are back after a brief little hiatus, but unfortunately, I'm be doing this episode solo, as unfortunately, the busy, conflicting schedules uh, for Dane has prevented him from joining me on this one. But um, still wanted to get an episode out, knowing that we didn't record one on our normal schedule time so we didn't want it too long of a gap to go on between episodes and there's some cool stuff to talk about that's been happening in the world of dc news lately so i wanted to make sure we got a new episode out uh for you guys so um i'll be flying slow on this one but i will continue to plow through <laughs> hopefully you won't get sick of my voice by the time this one's over so but it'll probably be more of a shorter episode than normal with just me talking to myself for several minutes so um, without further ado, I guess we'll go ahead and get into what's going on over these last few weeks. And normally, as you guys know, we would be doing our Dark Knight Rises minute-by-minute commentary. But I figured since we are so close to the end, we've only got a few minutes left, me and Dane have to do that together. So we can't let that ending uh, epilogue of the Dark Knight Rises uh, go with just one of us doing it. We have to finish these last few minutes together. So I'll go ahead and skip the Dark Knight Rises minute-by-minute commentary for this one and uh, just go ahead and get into the future topic that I wanted to talk about for this episode. And it is going to be about Doom Patrol Season 2. Yes, the second season just wrapped up this week, and unfortunately it was a shorter season than normally planned uh, due to the situation with COVID-19 and stopping production and um, them not being able to film the last episode of the season, because I believe it was supposed to be uh, 10 was the originally planned episode count for Season 2, but um, we only got 9. So definitely not the full season that was intended, but... Um, right off the bat, I'll just go ahead and say this is a very solid season and follow up to what was a great season one with Doom Patrol. So uh, I'll be talking, sharing my thoughts on season two. Won't be going into full blown spoilers on it, just in case uh, you guys haven't seen the final episode or 
haven't caught up on season two just yet. I know Dane is just getting into the series. He was watching season one and hasn't gotten into season two yet and wanted to finish that. So um, we'll be going into full-blown spoilers, but if I do go into some situations or events that happen, I'll throw a spoiler spoiler warning out before I talk about that. So, um, But yeah, like I said, overall, a very solid follow-up to a surprise hit for season one. I was not expecting (laughs) Doom Patrol to be what it was, the way it blended this ridiculous, crazy, out-there concepts mixed in with great characters and character arcs and just a lot of heart into the series. So season one was definitely a nice surprise, and I just cannot wait for season two and continue the journey with these characters. And I don't think season two didn't disappoint, but I will say probably not quite on the same level as great as season one was. And mainly for me, I think the reason would be uh, not having quite the as great as a villain as Mr. Nobody was in that first season. Alan Tudyk did a great job of being the main threat of that whole entire arc and just how he broke the fourth wall and caused all these crazy, ridiculous situations to happen. And we definitely get some crazy and unique situations that you would only find on Doom Patrol in season two, but not quite on the level as season one. But having said that, the character beats, the great characterizations of these of the Doom Patrol they didn't skip a beat. It just continued on, just exploring more into these characters, the dis- if I could say it, these dysfunctional characters uh, that we've come to know and love through season one, and that continues on and se- into season two. And kind of what made it different, too, how I was saying there wasn't a main villain threat like Mr. Nobody. There, there was um, in the season, kind of hinted at throughout, and then at, by the time we get to the final episode in episode nine, um, the Candlemaker, um, is the main threat for this season. But I liked how in the early episodes, it kind of had a villain of the week, so to speak, picking from old Doom Patrol villains um, that uh, comic fans would be familiar with. And some of those being um, Dr. Time, who looks straight out of the comic with his clock helmet <laughs> or his clock head, I should say. And then you also had um, Red Jack, who was a character. Now, I'm not I ever read a bunch of Doom Patrol comics. I kind of read a few after I finished season one, and Red Jack was a villain I would I read about in some of the issues. Um, so I knew him going into that episode. It was kind of cool to see him on screen, and so I liked how those episodes kind of featured villains from the Doom Patrol um, mythos that uh, maybe can't have, maybe won't be the full blown villain for an entire arc, but just to have them sprinkled in through several episodes of the season, I thought was really cool. But what I really enjoyed most about season two was, like I said, how it continued on in exploring these characters. And it just did a a great job. And some of them more so than others, but I think all of them, for the most part, um, had their stories to explore and their time to shine throughout the season. So I'll kind of be sharing my thoughts on that for each character. And I'm going to start with probably the two characters I felt had the best arc and journey in season two. And that's going to be Negative Man, Larry Trainer, and Jane. I felt the direction they took to those characters was really intriguing and kind of heartfelt for for both of them. And speaking first of Negative Man, uh, just how I liked how this season explored more into him kind of reconciling with his family, his sons who are are much older than he is now, or not really, but um, how they look physically are much older than Larry is now and how he is a great-grandfather and how he's kind of hesitant to 
reconcile with his sons. And one of the things is that he learns one of his sons committed suicide and he attends the funeral and his other son is there. And that's where he wants to start to reconcile and begin a relationship with his estranged son and his grandson and his great grandson. So all that stuff is great and just really pulls you into the emotion that Larry is feeling and some conflicting emotions that he has and what that leads to. Again, I won't go into full spoilers of what happens, but it's kind of sad to see. And it just makes you feel for Larry as a character and what he's been through and some of it caused by his own doing, but also how it's not caused by his own doing. So the stuff they explored with Larry and him trying to reconnect with his family, I thought was really well done. And then with Jane and really going into more with the whole underground scene and all the different personalities that she has there and what happens to them and bringing in a new uh, main personality that uh, named Miranda who becomes the primary and uh, how she affects and wants to do things differently and how Jane has to cope with that and kind of has to make her way back to become the primary, but it doesn't go the way she thinks and it makes for, and we also get to, because of that, see more of Jane's backstory and just see how tragic it really was and why she is the way she is. All that stuff they explored with Jane was really great. And then um, next, probably the next one who I thought had the best arc would be Cyborg and how they, I explored him pursuing a relationship with a girl who's kind of has some past history that, you know, is when if you want to try to date a superhero, wouldn't it be something that you can't ignore for some of the stuff she done, she did in the past and cyborg wants to kind of try to look beyond that and help her. And she is someone who has um, experienced some physical trauma and he wants to try to help her and, cure her because she does have a condition that is going to kill her and he figures with uh, the people he knows with the chief and his father he wants to try to help her but um, doesn't know if she can stop um, her uh, criminal ways I guess to put it and if he could change her and have a relationship with her um, was kind of what Cyborg was going through and then the next two I would probably say were I don't want to say they were bad but the ones that maybe weren't explored enough um, were Cliff, aka Robot Man, and Rita. And Cliff, he had a great story that I wanted to see explore more of as far as him trying to connect with his daughter. And father daughters is a big theme for season two. And one of the things I was going to, or thought they would explore more of, was Cliff and his daughter. We get a few episodes of that, but it just wasn't at the forefront that I thought it would be. But once we did get those episodes, um, was Cliff and him trying to reconnect with his daughter. Um, it was from pretty good stuff and just seeing um, him react or not how not knowing how to react when he is with his daughter and tells her um, what happened. So that was good stuff. It's just I thought there would be more of it. And maybe in future seasons we get more of that because it's definitely left open to where um, he's going to see his daughter more often. And then with Rita, um, this was probably the weakest one, in my opinion. But again, not bad. Um, it's just how she's learning. She wants to become pretty much a superhero she wants to try to train with cyborg and how to harness her powers and use it for good but um, she has the childhood trauma that she's trying to get over um with her mother and that's kind of what she has to deal with and overcome and she tries to get into acting 
at a local theater troupe to see if she can get a part in a local play, which ends up being a play about um, her <laughs> and the destruction that she caused back in season one. So some interesting, interesting stuff and dynamics uh, with Rita. I did like how um, her up trying to become a superhero and wanted to harness her powers and training under cyborg for a little bit was, it was good. Kind of wish we got more of that too. And um, another thing about the episodes or the season, I should say is the kind of the team ups that we got in these, in these few episodes um, to seeing the different members pair up with each other. There's some of them just that just have great chemistry. And one of the two that I felt uh, really worked was Rita and Larry, as she tries to help him uh, reconcile and reconnect with his family. And they go, uh, both of them visit Larry's family together. And just the bond that we saw develop between Rita and Larry, I thought was really strong in that friendship uh, that they have. We got a little flashback of when they first met and uh, how that developed to what we saw in season two and just how that friendship keeps growing and growing. So all that stuff was great. But probably the biggest thing I was excited for in season two was the introduction to Dorothy, uh, the chief's daughter. And I knew of Dorothy. I only knew of her by name and design from an old DC encyclopedia (laughs) book that I still have. It's way outdated now because I got it back in 2004. But um, she was a character that always stood out and I knew she was part of the Doom Patrol. And then after season one, like I said, how I read some comics afterwards, um, she was a character that was prominently in the issues that I've read. And getting to know her powers and abilities, I couldn't wait to see her in season two. And she did not disappoint because I do like how her powers involve her having imaginary friends and how those imaginary friends come to life. (laughs) And they're not just straight up human people, imaginary friends. There's these bizarre monsters and creatures that uh, she conjures up and brings out into the real world. And some of those are pretty trippy <laughs> to see. And even with a TV budget they have, I thought they did a really good job of how they looked and how they were used in the episodes. It couldn't be used a lot, but when they did, it was always uh, exciting to see like a big gigantic spider and um, that big forest a deer creature that we saw in season one. That was one of her imaginary friends too. And just seeing him out on screen interacting with uh, the different characters was uh, really fun to see. So um, I was excited about that. And I don't think that disappointed um, in seeing that aspect of her powers as well. So that was great. And then uh, the young actress who played Dorothy, Abigail Shaparo, she did a great job as playing this you know sweet, innocent little girl, but with such dangerous powers that she cannot control how it can sometimes harm her uh, family and her closest friends, which we saw happen in this episode or in the season in an episode that dealt with her and Jane that had some pretty big consequences, which I won't fully spoil here, but... Um, the actress Abigail Shapar did a great job of playing that uh, type of character. And just uh, the relationship uh, with her father, Niles, was really good. Again, the big theme of this season being fathers and daughters. And theirs was definitely the biggest in how uh, Cliff was, wants to, or not Cliff, but uh, Niles wants to do everything in his power to protect his daughter. But at the same time, he can't keep her sheltered and locked up. She has to live her life as a little girl who is actually... Oh, I believe over 50 years old, maybe longer, but she's definitely older than she appears as a young little girl. But that story aspect was really great. And it led into the season finale, which wasn't intended to be the finale, but it made, for my, in my opinion, it had enough great moments and some cliffhangers that 
it felt like a finale. And I'll throw a minor spoiler warning out here for what ha- kind of what happens in that finale, but not revealing the ending. But one of the things I loved about it was how, as I said, the main villain who ends up being the threat for the season is the candle maker who Dorothy has the ability to bring out and just wreak havoc and can cause just destruction of the entire world. And the chief is wanting, obviously wants to prevent that. Um, and the chief slow is slowly dying because in the season premiere, um, they were all shrunk as we saw in the season one finale. And in order to get them back to normal size, he had to give up his immortality uh, to get them back there. So he's slowly dying, but he at the same time wants to make sure he protects his daughter and keeps uh, the world safe from her as well. So that was his arc for the season. But um, as he tries to spend one more day with her um, before um, he, had, he made a deal with, uh, I'm blanking on his name now, but he's in season one, uh, pretty much the John Constantine <laughs> of Doom Patrol, uh, the guy who uses magic, who uh, has some history with Niles. Um, I, he was made a deal with him to... They, Maybe I missed something, but I don't think it was made exactly clear what exactly he was going to do if he was going to kill Dorothy or take her away somewhere or just or do something to her that would keep her from using her abilities to summon uh, the candle maker um, before she reaches adulthood. Because that's the thing. Once she becomes reaches adulthood, uh, that's where uh, her powers, I believe, can just kind of almost be uncontrollable and the candle maker would come out. Um, and that's the hour end up being too late. And that's where the Doom Patrol has to come together to try to rescue the Chief and Dorothy and stop the Candlemaker. But, and with that, as Dorothy brings out her imaginary friends, the final episode of the season is where each member of the Doom Patrol has to face their imaginary friends. And that made some, made for some wild and crazy <laughs> matchups as far as who the different members of the Doom Patrol face, especially Robot Man. <laughs> I was not expecting his imaginary friend to be the person who it was and the things that he does and the things that come out of his mouth. Uh, so there's a lot of crazy stuff that, again, you can only see in Doom Patrol. And the cliffhanger and the way it ended, um, it's definitely going to be something where you want it, you can't wait to find out what happens next. And that's what makes it unfortunate to where we knew there was one more episode to get that, I guess, finality to the season. Um, but at the same time, like I said, it was a cliffhanger that I felt would be normal for a season finale where it ends, but you just can't wait to see what happens for the, the characters. More so, I, I felt it did a better job in that than the first season of Titans where you definitely knew it wasn't a season finale and now there was one more episode and then the season two premiere was that finale and it just felt all off. <laughs> so I think Doom Patrol did a better job of ending their season two finale with an episode that felt like one that wrapped the season up. Um, but at the same time, just making the wait for season three that much longer. And hopefully it won't be too long of a wait. I know it hasn't officially been renewed, but given the uh, popular, popularity, well, I don't know how popular it is, but amongst the DC fans, I know it's held in pretty high regard. And it's getting positive reviews from everyone who watches it. So I more than likely, hopefully, we'll get renewed for a season three. But we just got to wait on that official announcement. But I really enjoyed this season. I thought it was a great follow-up to season one. Uh, maybe it's not quite as good as that first season. 
but still very enjoyable. And I just love seeing the journey that these characters go on with all the problems that they have and everything that they go through. It's just uh, very engaging to see these characters kind of deal with that. And at the same time, some of them have some pretty cool superpowers. So this makes for a very entertaining comic book show that is definitely like no other. So if you haven't checked it out yet, I would recommend definitely starting with season one, obviously, but continuing on and watching both seasons. I really enjoyed it. So yeah, that's my feature topic for this episode, giving a brief review of season two of Doom Patrol. Um, Hopefully once Dane uh, catches up and sees it, maybe we can go into more in-depth discussion on some of the events that happen in the season and what the characters went through. But with that, um, I can go ahead and get into some pretty cool news that we've gotten since our last episode that I'm excited about. Um, first off, the one being that we are getting a death, a Batman Death in the Family animated movie. And I've heard some rumors about this one a few months ago, so it's cool to get it confirmed. But it's not what I was expecting. Um, it's, first off, going to be not a full-length animated movie like we're used to, but more of a, a short if i think the best comparison to make is that it's going to be like the superman shazam animated film that we got just about 10 years ago now and how that one was longer than some of the dc showcase shorts but not as long as an animated feature and i think batman death in the family is going to be probably the same length as that but here's the real surprising news this is actually going to be a choose your own adventure dc movie the first one that they're doing and I am very intrigued about this to see how it's going to work. And I could definitely see why they chose Death in the Family to be the first movie that they want to try this choose-your-own-adventure style on because the original comic was kind of like that where they had that infamous phone number where readers can call in and say if they wanted Jason Todd to live or Jason Todd to die. And I think that's going to be kind of the same thing they're going for with this DC animated movie of Death in the Family. And in the trailer, and that's another thing I should mention too, it is going to be a prequel to Under the Red Hood, which has me really excited. I love that movie. And it's probably still regarded as one of the best DC animated movies out there. It's fantastic. And I can't believe that is 10 years old, which is hard to believe. Um, It's been that long ago since that movie premiered, but man, it definitely still holds up as one of the best. So just the fact we're exploring more of that version of Batman with some of the same voice actors. Bruce Greenwood is back as Batman, who is an awesome voice for Batman. Joe DiMaggio is back as the Joker. So I love how we're getting more of that version of Batman. But the thing is, in in the trailer, it shows you some new scenes uh, that are going to Uh, take place prior to what we saw in Under the Red Hood, but also it's going to show some of the stuff we have seen in Under the Red Hood. Some of it the same, but some of it going to (laughs) be with a different twist. Because with the choose-your-own-adventure style, some of the decisions you make is going to affect the outcome for Jason Todd, whether he lives or if he still suffers the same fate as being killed in the explosion and brought back as a Lazarus pit. um, He's just not going to be the Red Hood, because as you'll see in the trailer, there's shots of him as Hush, there's shots of him as Red Robin, the Tim Drake costume. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see how those different story ideas play out and just the different type of variations of the character Jason Todd we're going to get in this movie and just how it's all going to fit into the story uh, with Under the Red Hood. So um, I think it's something cool, something different and unique to try with these DC animated movies. And again, 
having to be the death of the family where in the comic it was kind of left up to the fans um it's kind of cool that they're doing that for uh an animated movie just and using the technology that we have now to do that and to see a different adventure play out in your choices so it's definitely going to be more than two because there was a shot in the trailer where i believe it gave you three or four options on what to do um in order to of what you're going to do to save Jason or not save him. So it's going to be interesting, and I'm looking forward to seeing that. Um, it's going to be in October 2020, so not too long of a wait to, before we get that one. So I'll definitely be getting that on day one and probably watching it a few times to see the different outcomes and the different choices that uh, you make. And we'll just see how a movie like that flows where you have to choose your own adventure because I, I haven't watched any movies like that. So I know there's some out there. I know there's a Netflix show, uh, Black Mirror, that is like that, but I haven't seen that. So I'm going to be curious to see how a choose-your-own-adventure style works for a movie. I read a lot of books like that as a kid in school, uh, but never as a movie. So we'll see how that plays out. But I'm excited for this one. And then the other bit of news that we've got just a few days ago is on the gaming front. And we finally, and I stress the word finally, got an official announcement for what the next game of Rocksteady is working on. They sent a tweet out that said, Target locked. Hashtag DC Fandom, August 22nd, Suicide Squad game. And they tweeted an image of Superman was kind of a targeting crosshair on his head that says Suicide Squad. So... This is something that, first off, just glad to finally have confirmed what Rocksteady is working on because that was kind of the biggest frustration. We'd hear them tease that they're working on something, and then there'd be all these rumors, whether it was a Superman game, a Justice League game, uh, another Batman game, like a Batman team-up co-op, or going way back in the one I was really hoping for, a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle game, which I think Rocksteady would just kill if they ever got a chance to do that. And you heard rumblings of a Suicide Squad game too, and it ended up being uh, Suicide Squad is what it's going to be. And to be honest, um, just a Suicide Squad game on its own doesn't really get me super excited. I like the Suicide Squad just fine, but they're not my favorite aspect of characters in the DC universe. And I think there are some better characters teams you could have done a cool game with before the suicide squad but having said that in the hands of rocksteady i know they're going to do some amazing things with it and it's going to be awesome to see and i actually totally forgot but i didn't um remember until i read ign's article about how there was that post credit scene after batman arkham origins not arkham knight but arkham origins that had uh deathstroke be recruited by amanda waller uh to join the suicide squad and that was a thread that has been, you know, have a, hasn't been pulled on by Rocksteady or just in the Arkham universe in the gaming front, because uh, I know Arkham Knight didn't really do too much with that. So uh, they're going to be exploring that avenue, and I guess uh, the seeds were planted early on. I just couldn't remember, <laughs> so it makes sense that that is a direction they would go for our next game set in the Arkham universe. I do believe it is going to be set in the Arkham universe. And as the tweet mentioned, the full-blown details are going to be revealed at DC Fandom on August 22nd, which I think is just going to be a great event. And I know we just had Comic-Con at home a few weeks ago, which um, for me personally was kind of a disappointment. I know there wasn't a lot of big and huge panels or announcements that were made there, but I think DC fandom is going to be something that's going to deliver the goods with the guests they already got confirmed, obviously, with Zack Snyder and uh, his Justice League cut. That's going to be shown there. There's rumors about getting their first trailer. And I know just a few weeks ago, we got another sneak peek of a scene with Superman in his black suit um, confronting Alfred. 
which was cool to see. So to get a full-blown trailer, I'm excited for. Um, Patty Jenkins and Gal Gadot are going to be there to show more of Wonder Woman 1984. We'll see if we get a new trailer for that because who knows right now when we're actually going to see the movie. Uh, Matt Reeves has confirmed he's going to be there to share some more stuff on the Batman. Don't know if we'll get any footage, but maybe we will get some more details or images of some of the characters we haven't seen yet besides Robert Pattinson's Batman. And now we know uh, Rocksteady's going to show off the Suicide Squad game and find out some details about that. I've seen some rumors, and after this uh, tweet got sent out, how it might be about the Suicide Squad taking on the Justice League. And that is something I could see happening, just basing it off that image they tweeted out with Superman being on on that image. So it's going to make for an interesting concept, the Suicide Squad taking on the Justice League, but one that I don't know that's going to work or pay off because how is the Suicide Squad really going to take down characters like Superman, Wonder Woman, or Green Lantern? So it'll be interesting to see how they work it out, but I have the fullest confidence in Rocksteady that they'll deliver something cool. And again, more details to come, but I'm kind of hoping we get it's a co-op game because I would love Rocksteady to do that. And I think the Suicide Squad um, isn't, something that is right up the alley for a cool co-op game so we'll just have to wait and see but market calendars for august 22nd that's going to be a pretty great day for dc fans i will imagine so yeah some cool announcements both on the animated movie front and video game news so um and i'm sure more cool stuff is going to be on the way in the in the coming weeks leading up to dc fandom and once we get to that event which is going to be 24 hours so that's going to be a great day for dc fans And with that, that is some of the big news discussions I wanted to talk about. And I can go ahead and get into my comic reviews of Batman, The Adventures Continue. And this is going to be covering two issues, uh, Batman, The Adventures Continue, number eight and nine, which is going to be the end of one arc and the beginning of another. Um, But before I get into it, as always, got to throw out the spoiler warning out there um, as I'm going to be going into details for everything that happens in these two issues. And some big stuff does happen. Uh, so throw out the spoiler warning there. And I guess for the rating scale, um, since we finally got Arkham, or I should say the Suicide Squad game officially announced from Rocksteady, I'll go different rumors we've heard about DC properties of the next Rocksteady game that it was going to be, or something to that effect. <laughs> so um, I'll go ahead and start with issue number eight, which is going to be the end of the Azrael arc, uh, with Batman teaming up with Azrael in his Azbat suit, as I geeked out on <laughs> in our last episode, seeing that. As they were being apprehended by this creature called Wing, one of Peng- Penguin's henchmen, who's this big white bird creature. So they pretty much easily take him down. Uh, as Bats is going to go after Penguin while Batman takes out Wing. And after Batman takes down Wing, he sees Asbat just holding Penguin, who's been roughed up already by Asbats, and is hanging him over the roof of the, the building that they're on. And once Penguin gives him the information on who his client was, Asbats just tosses him and throws him off the building that Batman eventually has to save with his battering. And Azrael just leaves him behind, going after the person that Penguin named. Um, so typical Azbat's fashion, I'm not too surprised there, obviously, using his extreme methods to get the information that he wants, more so than Batman, obviously, as he has no problems with killing uh, the criminals after he's done with them. So um, once Batman learns who the client was, he's able to track down Azrael to there. And we've learned that the person who hired the Penguin to steal um, that cloth that has healing properties um, ends up being Mr. Freeze. And this was surprising for me. I was not expecting this. And we do get some new details as far as 
what happened to Nora Freeze. And again, it's just sad to say, but just more tragedy for the Freeze family. And it sucks to read, but it's just a lot in life that Victor Freeze has to deal with. And it just sucks to see that because in the animated movie Sub-Zero, we learned that Nora Freeze was able to recover and had a procedure. Obviously, she needed the transplant from Barbara Gordon, which was the thrux of that movie, and was able to find a cure, and she got uh, revived. But unfortunately, um, it turned out her body, we learned how this issue, rejected the cure, and eventually she became terminally ill again, and she ended up dying, uh, which is just sad, because we know after Sub-Zero, uh, she actually, when she found out, or not found out, but once Victor didn't come to see her, she got tired of waiting for him and she got remarried and married her doctor and that caused Mr. Freeze to go on that uh, revenge rampage in the episode Cold Comfort. So things were bad for Mr. Freeze then knowing that his wife um, left him and because he couldn't see her because his body was deteriorating and all he had was his head. So you understand why he couldn't see her but at the same time when she left and married uh, her doctor we can understand how that would affect Freeze but now to learn that she actually got ill again and died it just broke his world again and it's just always sad to see mr freeze having to deal with that so that's why he stole that cloth and opened to revive her and bring her back to life but um as bats is kind of saying it only works on those who aren't dead but those who are just ill and sick or near death um but mr freeze has to try everything so he ends up freezing as bats with his cold gun but batman comes in uh, is able to distract freeze and he does something that he doesn't want to do he even says it in the narration like i only have one way to get him and to free Azrael, and I hate to do it. And he, he kicks the table that Nora's on with a cloth, and Mr. Freeze has to go catch her, and that gives Batman the opportunity to use a battering to bust open, uh, to vibrate the ice that Azbats is under, and to hit Mr. Freeze's helmet to take him down, uh, because we know he needs his helmet, obviously, to survive. Um, so Batman ends up subdues Mr. Freeze, rescues Azrael and they recover the cloth and bring it back to the order of St. Dumas and Bruce and Azrael or Jean-Paul say their goodbyes and kind of tease out another team up that they'll eventually have if as Azrael or Jean-Paul Valley says if you need me he'll come and Bruce says I'll let you know as we see them walk away with their shadow silhouettes being the designs of their Batman costumes so I really love seeing them team up um, it just felt a little too quick that's probably one of my main nitpicks of the series so far is there's a lot of cool ideas and story developments that happen in these issues with Deathstroke and now Azrael. They just end too quick and there's just so much more they can explore. So I'm just hoping this isn't the end that we've seen of both characters. But the issue teases or ends with a tease as far as Jason Todd at a carnival looking out on a Ferris wheel to a building where he eyes the Joker and that's where the issue ends and right after I read this one I just could not wait to read the the next one as you know we're finally going to get into Jason Todd and his animated series history and with the Joker and I just could not wait for that so that's where issue nine picks up so but if I were to rate issue number eight I'm going to give that one a solid three and a half out of five different rumors of games that we've heard Rocksteady were going to be developing. Uh, I just loved how they threw Mr. Freeze in there and just, again, more tragedy for the character. But at the same time, wish we got more with Batman and Azrael. But the next arc we're going to begin with issue nine is titled Red Sun Rising. And this is where we get into, finally, Jason Todd's 
origin in the Batman the Animated Series universe, at least the start of it. And the issue begins just picking it right where the last one left off as uh, Joker realizes he's being watched by someone. And he has a new henchman called um, Straight Man, who's this big bodybuilder type character. And he tells him to go deal with the spy. And he starts banging on the Ferris wheel with his big uh, dumbbell weight and is able to knock it down. And Jason falls off, starts shooting at him and the Joker. But Joker ends him, takes him, takes him down uh, by throwing some uh, bombs on the Ferris wheel and causes some destruction at this fair. And Batman's there with Gordon as they realize that Joker was kind of attacked and had to leave as Batman pulls um, Jason Todd's gun that he left behind during the aftermath of the explosion. And he takes it back to the Batcave, and that's where he gets the fingerprints, not on the gun, he says, but on the bullets, and realizes that they belong to Jason Todd. And I don't know, maybe it's because how it was, his facial expression was drawn in the comic. It, Batman didn't have this shocked look on his face like you would maybe expect him to have, um, as we saw in the Red Hood animated movie. Uh, but um, he was surprised. Alfred was more surprised than Bruce, but... Now, this might just be Bruce's way of showing it here as far as being surprised and not knowing how to deal with it and just staying as serious and stoic as he always does. And it's, Alfred is in shock. Um, we see, her, see Tim come out as he's hearing the conversation. And he goes, so with all this, this kind of suspected this, he says, with everything that this guy has been doing following us, knowing our every move, it had to be someone who was part of the team. And he goes, this is Jason Todd, isn't it? He's the second Robin. You, like, you hardly talk about him. Like, I deserve to know about this as I'm not only the Robin, but part of this family now. And he says, you owe him. The, and he tells Bruce he owes him an explanation. So as Bruce leaves, um, he just tells Alfred, tell Tim everything. And he does. And this is where we get the origin for Jason Todd. It is different from his comic book origin, but um, in typical animated series style fashion, coming from the brilliant writers of Paul Dini and Alan Burnett, it's a pretty good origin story so far. We haven't gotten the full one, like I said, but I'm liking what they're doing. Uh, Alfred tells him about this street game called uh, The Wolves, and uh, there is this leader named Alpha. And they have this game, and in order to join, you have to have this initi- initiation ritual where they give you a red hood to kind of be uh, the lookout um, during their robberies and whatever criminal activities they're doing. And so this is the animated series version of the Red Hood origin. And we know it's not going to be involved with the Joker because as we've seen in Mask of the Phantasm and uh, being reminded again in Beware the Creeper, Joker was part of the Velestra mob and didn't have the Red Hood moniker in this universe. So it makes sense that they're doing something different with the Red Hood um, idea and the story for Jason Todd's version of the Red Hood as we're going to see in later issues, no doubt. So um, Alfred tells him about this case where um, the police showed up and the Red Hood uh, for this game um, called, yelled out that they're coming. But um, another thing that this wolf game likes to do for the Red Hood is leaves, this, leaves them exposed so they can get away. And if someone has to get captured, it has to be the new recruit. Um, but if he gets away, he kind of proves himself to join the gang. Um, but this Red Hood, before he escaped, um, he tries to go down a fire escape. Um, but uh, it ends up collapsing and he falls down to his death um, pretty much um, as the wolves try to make their escape from the cops and having a shootout. Um, so Batman sees that happen. And as he goes to take down the wolves gangs, um, he sees someone's already attacking them. And as he goes in to see, he sees this young kid or this young teenager um, in like a red hooded jacket and a domino mask taking down this game. And he just saw how, you know, 
how far advanced he was as a fighter and was able to take them all down. And as obviously this young kid ends up being Jason and he sees this gun and he's going to pull it on the the leader alpha, but Batman grabs his hand, takes the gun away and he learns about him that um, Jason was an orphan and his old, he had an older brother named Danny and he thought about joining the wolves to bring in some money. And he was their red hood for that in that mission who ended up dying in the fall. So now Jason was already getting out or wanted to get revenge on him, and that's why he attacked uh, the gang of wolves. And so Alfred was saying how Bruce was acting a little different since uh, Dick was gone, and maybe thought this would be um, someone who we saw another kindred spirit in to take in. And so he did. He brought him to Wayne Manor and started training him as we see him go through training in the Batcave. And I liked how Tim even mentioned, like, you know, how did Barbara take it? And Alfred said how during this time, she wasn't a full-blown member of the team like she is now. Just kind of establishing where things left off in old wounds, obviously, between Batman and Dick. Um, it, may, it would make sense that Barbara wouldn't just automatically team up with Batman full-time. There's probably would just all three of them needed their space for a little bit. So I'm glad that the little detail they put in there, just seeing where everyone was at emotionally during this time and how they're dealing with Dick leaving the team. Um but she was there from time to time, and they were seeing signs that Jason wasn't ready yet. But he would just stare at the Robin costume in the mantle in the Batcave just constantly, and just how obsessed he was with that costume and wanted to become Robin. But uh, as Bruce tells Alfred, you know, he'll be ready when I say he's ready. Um, but it's a Batman surprise when he goes out on a mission. This is where the issue ends. Um, he's taking down Firefly. Again, Firefly being used here. Um, Alfred goes to look at uh, display case mantles with all the costumes, and he finds out Dick's costume is missing. And the last page is Jason Todd suited up in Dick Grayson's old animated series Robin costume. And this Batman just has a surprised look on his face. <laughs> and that's where the issue ends. And I just cannot say, cannot wait to see it continue and see the first team up of Batman and Jason Todd as Robin in the Batman the Animated Series universe. I'm just really excited to see this part of the animated series universe explored and just get this information again how when this comic series was first announced and how they said they were going to bring jason todd i just cannot wait to see how the animated animated series creators are going to use jason todd and fit him in into the universe and in the timeline that has been so well established throughout the animated series and so far it's working really well and i just can't wait to read more of it not only just the flashbacks of batman and jason as robin but also just how jason is what his plan is to take down joker in this story and as the red hood because you know that's coming it's all been laid out and he obviously is setting things in motion as he was going to confront joker at the beginning of this issue before Joker got away. So we know a big showdown is coming between the three of them. We'll see if it's anything like Under the Red Hood, but I have full confidence that even if it's totally different, Paul Dini and Alan Burnett are going to give us something really, really uh, cool with this with their version of Jason Todd in the Red Hood. So yeah, I really like this issue. I like how uh, they're setting up Jason in the animated universe and his history. So I'm going to give this four out of five different rumors of DC properties we've heard that Rocksteady was developing. So yeah, that's going to do it for this episode. Kind of a shorter one, but again, wanted to make sure I got a new episode out to you guys covering the cool news we got of Batman and Death in the Family, the animated movie, the Suicide Squad game coming from Rocksteady, talking about another good season of Doom Patrol, and two good new issues of Batman The Adventures Continue. So uh, we'll be back in a couple of weeks. Hopefully it won't just be me next time. Dane will be back and with some more great stuff to talk about. So 
until then, as always, you can check us out over at the Batman Universe at thebatmanuniverse.net uh, or at Facebook at facebook.com slash thebatmanuniverse. And you can follow us on Twitter at batfans27. Or, I'm sorry, <laughs> that was our old one. Kind of getting confused there. At Batfans Podcast is our Twitter handle. And uh, you can follow the Batman Universe at Batman Universe. And if you want to follow me, you can follow me at TimG311. And for Dane, he is at, at Dane Says Banana. And with that, I'd like to say, or like to say at the end of every episode, we love each and every one of you with all of our doomed hearts. <laughs> so with that, uh, we'll see you next time, everybody. 